Luke chapter 19, and we will talk about the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem during his last week on this earth. This is going to be pretty fresh to us because as we have been going through Mark, it's only been about a month since we, we talked about this event in Mark chapter 11. And so many of the things that, that, that I had to say on this topic, I've, I've said them already about a month ago for the most part. So you may hear some repeat today. I'll try not to repeat myself, but uh, there, are, there are a lot of good things in this passage. And so if some of this is a repeat to you, well, that's, that's okay. Maybe we'll, it'll help us to remember it better. If, 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 if you want to go back and listen to that message, it's online. The title of it was Welcoming the King, and we, we go through Mark chapter 11. And we also hit some of these other uh, uh, parallel accounts of this story uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John this is, this is one of the events that all of the gospel accounts cover. And, and they really all have some different detail to some, to some degree. So this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 19. And uh, we'll go through it a few verses at a time. And we'll see what God's word has to say. So let's pray and then we will get started. God, we come to you this morning and I pray that these words would be good to us. And God, maybe this is a story that we, that we just discussed a few weeks ago. And, and God, maybe some of us have heard this story a dozen times, two dozen times in our lifetime, dear Lord. But this is, this is a big day that we're talking about in the life of Jesus. This is a big day for us because this is the day that Jesus came in to begin to fulfill his mission and his ministry, dear Lord. So I pray that we would think about what Jesus did on, on this Palm Sunday that we talk about, dear Lord, and the things that would soon follow dear Lord, that would lead to his death and his resurrection. And we thank you for Jesus, dear Lord. We thank you that we can come here today and we can have freedom to worship and that we can have a reason to worship. And God, I pray that your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us today. So hide me behind the cross and help me to preach and teach that, that you would guide me, that you would open my mouth to say what you want your people to hear. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 19, verse 29. Mark chapter 19, verse 29 is where we will start. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of, his, two of the disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. Now, Jesus had been with his disciples for about three years now, and he had really poured into them the things that he wanted them to know. He was preparing them to continue the mission that he had started. The, his mission, which he would uh, soon complete uh, within the next few days when he would be nailed to the cross. And Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, or preparing to enter Jerusalem with his disciples here. Now, it says that they approach Bethphage and Bethany. Now, these places are not very far from Jerusalem. And so when they approach Bethany, uh, they are very close to Jerusalem. They are only approximately 
1.7 miles from Jerusalem. So that would be, uh, for instance, if we were, to, we were to head out to Vance Park and then from there we would say, all right, we're almost, we're almost to the courthouse. And, and the journey from Vance Park to the courthouse in Liberty is about 1.7 miles. So you can see, uh, kind of get an idea of the distance that Jesus was going uh, back and forth between these places. It wasn't very far as Jesus uh, was preparing to enter into Jerusalem here. So when, when he is in Bethany and he sends these, uh, his disciples out to go get this donkey, uh, he is getting ready for this very short journey which is going to lead him into Jerusalem. And so he sends them in and he tells them to, uh, look, go find this donkey that's tied up and untie it and bring it here. And if somebody says something, we'll tell them that the Lord needs it. Now, we could view this in a couple of ways. We could view this as a miracle of Jesus. Of course, Jesus could miraculously uh, tell some, uh, send his disciples out and, and he could say, all right, just tell them the Lord needs it. And they'll say, okay. Uh, and, and perhaps it was miraculous in the way that occurred uh, for whatever reason, the scene from Star Wars comes to me. Maybe you've seen Star Wars and, and, and Obi-Wan, Kenobi, and Luke are, are, are traveling into, into, into this city and they're being searched for because they have a couple of droids that have critical information. And as the stormtroopers come to them and, and they are, begin to look at their droid, Obi-Wan kind of waves his hand in front of the stormtroopers and he says, these aren't the droids you're looking for. And they said, no, these aren't the droids we're looking for. And perhaps that was the kind of situation that we see here with the disciples as they go in and they untie this donkey and they begin to get this donkey and the disciples maybe said, the Lord needs it. And they said, oh, okay, the Lord needs it. Go on your way. And maybe the Lord just miraculously told them to uh, give the donkey up. That is a possibility. Uh, Jesus did many great miracles in his ministry. So the fact that one of those would just be people saying, yeah, go ahead and, and take this donkey without question. It's not hard for us to imagine that, that God could have had a hand in there. There could be a much simpler explanation. Some have suggested that perhaps Jesus had arranged this ahead of time. Maybe he had talked to these people who had the donkey and said, look, in a couple of days, there's going to be some guys going to come get this donkey. I just want you to, to be prepared when they come. And that's a possibility too. It's possible that Jesus could have prearranged that. It's possible that the Lord could have had a hand in allowing the owners of this donkey to say, oh yeah, go ahead and take it. And that really doesn't matter too much, but that's an interesting uh, uh, point for us to consider in this story. But the the disciples are able to successfully bring back the donkey that Jesus had asked for. Uh, let's continue on in verse 32. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their robes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their robes on the road. He came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Now, Luke's details are a little different than some of the other gospel accounts, but when we look at all of those gospel accounts, we begin to see the scene unfold. As Jesus begins this journey into Jerusalem after he is uh, sitting on this donkey, 
the, the, the people of Jerusalem begin to place their robes and they begin to place their palms into the road as, as, as Jesus rides this donkey into Jerusalem. And this was a very exciting time. And we see that in the response of the people who were there because they obviously recognized and believed that Jesus was the Messiah who was to come. He is the king that they had been looking for. And they had indeed been looking for a king because the Old Testament prophecies had spoken of a king that would come. And they were waiting for that king. And when Jesus came in, he fulfilled that prophecy in Zechariah that talked about the one who was going to come riding a donkey. And so for some people, they obviously made that connection that when Jesus came riding into town on this donkey, that they acknowledged that he was the king who was to come. And so as a sign of respect and a sign of honor, they begin to take their robes off and they begin to lay them across the ground and they begin to, to wave palm branches and they begin to, as he come by, they would lay these palm branches in front of him on the ground. And, and what a miraculous scene this must have been. Now, uh, many times Jesus faced difficulty. There were, there were some occasions where the crowds uh, were not really happy to see him, where things got difficult for him, where he had to kind of slip away. Uh, but this is this is an event where 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 Jesus, while on this earth, got a lot of praise and honor as as he came into town into Jerusalem for this for this final week of his life. Let's read some of those responses from the crowd in verse thirty eight. It says, "The King who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven." So we don't see some of the same praise that we see in the other gospel accounts, but Luke gets the point across. What were the people doing when Jesus came? They were praising the Messiah. They were praising Jesus. Some of the gospel accounts we look at uh, record the phrase, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Here comes Jesus. Here comes the son of David. These are some of the, some of the, the, the terms that we see across the gospel accounts. And so... This was a big deal. This was a big day uh, for, for the people that were there. Now, who knows how many people were there? But I would venture to say that it was probably a lot of people there because we see many times in Scripture that Jesus frequently has large crowds that, that, that follow him, that wherever he goes, he is, he is constantly followed by people. When he, when he stands to preach, people come to listen, as we remember from the, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, no telling how many people were there apart from the men. There were likely women and children there, thousands upon thousands of people who come when Jesus speaks, who see the miracles that he does, who hear about him and they, and they come to seek him out. They come to touch him. They come to ask him to heal him. And so Jesus was likely around large crowds for a lot of his ministry. And so it is not unreasonable to, unreasonable to believe that this crowd here may have also been a very large crowd. And so you can imagine the commotion, the, the uproar, the, the sound that would have resonated uh, in, in the immediate area around where Jesus was coming in as these people were saying, Hosanna, praise the Lord, son of David. You know, they were, they were yelling out these, these terms of, of praise that, and they recognized Jesus as being the king that was coming. But they recognized Jesus as a king, but it wasn't long after that 
that for many, they realized that Jesus was not the king that they were looking for. He was the king that they needed, but he was not the king that they wanted. Now, it's hard for us to know or say with any certainty, but I would imagine that some of the very ones in this crowd that were saying, Hosanna, son of David, we praise you, you're the king, were some of the very ones that just a few days later would be saying, crucify him, crucify him. I suspect that probably there were some in this crowd that were, that were, that were yelling for his death a few days later because Jesus didn't, he didn't fit the mold of what a worldly king looked like. There, there, there's, there's this idea in, in people's minds that Jesus probably would have followed uh, the, the, the pattern and the look and the style of earthly kings. And, and earthly kings that, that are powerful, they come and they, they rule with an iron fist and they, they really enforce uh, their power. They, they, they take care of all the enemies. The enemies are destroyed and the, the king sits on the throne and rules over his people and his people are going to be the one who are in control. And all of those enemies, all of the evil people, well, they will be no more. And, and people, when they were looking for Jesus, some, I believe, probably were looking for Jesus in that worldly sense. They were looking for a king who was going to carry things out in that very way. They wanted a king who was going to come and conquer uh, their enemy. They wanted a king who was going to come and show worldly force. And they wanted uh, a king who was going to kind of change the whole, whole structure of the way things were going to be. And they were looking forward to this king. And Jesus indeed was that king. But he did not accomplish those things in the way that they anticipated him to accomplish those things. Because as you and I often do, they were thinking worldly. We, we do that, right? We, even knowing God's word, even trusting in the Lord, we have a sense to look at things in, in a worldly way when we see things going on and say, man, God, why is this happening this way? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you not allowing this to happen? You know, whatever it may be. We're looking at the world around us and we're, and, and we're making our assumptions as to, as to how God is doing things based on a worldly view. And I suspect that there were many in Jerusalem who were doing the same thing. They were, they were looking to Jesus in a worldly sense. They wanted a worldly king who would carry out his kingship in a worldly way. But as we see often with Jesus in the scriptures, Jesus... He was not so much concerned with this world in, in the way that we think of it. He was thinking of something much bigger. Uh, we could say the, 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 the saying that perhaps you hear, sometimes people can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, I think we could say that definitely about the Pharisees who, who really focused on God's word. And man, they read it and they knew it and they could repeat it. And they knew it, but they didn't get it. Like... They, 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 they knew what it said, but they didn't know what it meant. And that's why oftentimes, especially even earlier on in Jesus' ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to go to them and tell the people, look, you have heard it said this, but I tell you this. He, he begins to take their misconceptions. Look, you know the word, you know what it says, and here's what you think it means, but it means something much bigger than that, much grander than that. 
And so Jesus was trying to get people not to look at the kingdom of this world, but to look at the kingdom of God, to, to, to overlook and to look past these things and say, no, there's something bigger than what you see. There's something bigger than, than, than if Jesus would have come and, and set up a throne in this world and, and destroyed everything that was evil. There's a bigger picture that Jesus was looking to. And he was viewing things in a spiritual sense. He was carrying out his mission spiritually. But the people were looking for a king who was going to come in a worldly sense. At least some of them were. And so when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, they are happy to see the king coming. But it doesn't take long until many of God's chosen people, the Jewish people, reject the very king that God has sent because he doesn't look the part, right? He doesn't, he, he doesn't live things out in the way that worldly kings live things out. And so they wanted a king who would come and who would conquer worldly enemies, but Jesus came onto the scene to conquer our spiritual enemy. That's what Jesus was, was really concerned with. There was a, a greater enemy than anything that we experience on this earth. Yeah, we, we live and we die on this earth, and that's the wages of sin, but, but there's, there, there's something greater that comes. Our life is not just over when we, when we die in this world. There's a second death. There's a greater punishment that comes, and that's what Jesus was looking to. That's what Jesus was looking to save us from, that when we die, that it doesn't lead to something worse, but that when we die, that it leads to something better, that it leads to grace, that it leads to forgiveness. And so some of the people of Jesus' day were probably looking for a king who would come and stop a worldly enemy. But Jesus knew that worldly things were not the problem. There was a spiritual battle. There was a spiritual enemy that must be faced. Now, we're going to flip over and read John chapter 12. And this is kind of a long passage, but it's okay. It's a good passage. And so I won't, I won't break it down. Maybe one day we'll, we'll come back to it, Lord willing. Uh, but not today for time purposes. But we will look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 20. Just a few verses before this in John 12, we see John's account of Jesus' triumphal entry. So this probably, these verses that we're about to read probably would have taken place not very long after, after Jesus' uh, after the triumphal entry took place. John chapter 12, verse 20. We're going to read several verses through here. John chapter 12, verse 20. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, this is a beautiful thing that Jesus is telling as these people are coming and they're wanting to hear from him, they're wanting to meet him, and he begins to, to, to tell them uh, about his death and his resurrection, what's going to take place. 
And Jesus is always so good at really simplifying things in, in a way that people can understand. And he uses this illustration of a grain of wheat here. He says the grain must go into the ground and, and, and die, but from that one grain that grows into the ground, it, it produces a large crop that, that, that springs up as a result of it. And what Jesus was telling his followers here is that's what's going to happen to him. He's going to be that one grain, and he must die to accomplish and fulfill the mission that God has sent him to. And he is going to die, but from his death and resurrection is going to spring forth a large crop. And that's you and I who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's everybody that came after him that said, Lord Jesus, we are following you. We are that crop that has been produced, that is still being produced. And I promise you, Christians are still being made today. People are still following Jesus Christ today. And there are lots of them that are still taking place. We may get discouraged. We may feel like, man, Christianity doesn't look good. Man, people don't care about God. Well, that may be true. There may be a lot of people who don't care about God or God's word, but I can assure you there are a lot that do. There are a lot of people that are still hearing this truth that we're talking about today, and they're hearing about Jesus, and they are following Jesus, and they are doing exactly what Jesus said was going to happen in this verse. Because of his death and resurrection, we have become his followers. We are a fruit. We are a crop that has produced from him, and there is still a lot of crop and a lot of fruit being produced today. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, this is a good verse. Now, the series we've been going through in Mark is entitled Call to Serve, and that's because we see a lot in Mark, especially in the last few chapters of Mark that we've covered, we have seen this, this theme that is, I would consider to be a key theme to the book of Mark and a key theme to the ministry of Jesus. And that is the theme of service. The people that saw Jesus coming were looking for a worldly king who was going to conquer a worldly enemy. But Jesus came to conquer a spiritual enemy. And he did not come to conquer that enemy with force, which some may also have been expecting. Instead of using force, Jesus calls his apostles to do something different. Followers of Jesus are not to use force. They are to use service. Now, that's crazy, right? I mean, when, when, when we think about wars, when we think about fighting, when we think about one kingdom, one nation taking over another nation, it is almost always done by force, right? We go in with our biggest guns, with our biggest weapons, and we want to overtake the other enemies and the other nations with force. And that's the mindset that we have as human beings, and that's the mindset that some of Jesus' uh, hearers probably had when they heard the things that he was teaching. And Jesus is trying to shift their focus because Jesus is not a Savior that tells us to live by force. He is a Savior that tells us to live in service. That's why he says in uh, Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 and 26, he says, but Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
He said, look, there are some people who are trying to exercise their power. They're trying to dominate other people to establish themselves. But not you. Not you, my followers. Not you, my disciples. It must not be that way among you. If you're not to use force, what are you to use? Jesus says, you must be a servant. Now, that's the same type of language that we see here in John chapter 12, verse 26. This is a key theme. In one verse here, in, in John 12, 26, Jesus talks about service three times in one verse. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. How does Jesus refer to his followers here? He refers to them as servants who serve him. This is what we need to realize, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is our mission as Christians. We are to be servants of God. We are to be saying, God, how can I serve you? Well, we serve God by serving other people. Even our enemies sometimes we serve. If those who are our enemies ask us for something to drink, we give them something to drink. If they ask us for something to eat, we give them something to eat. We, we, we serve God by serving other people. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, look, I'm going to die, and as a result of my death, there's going to be a huge crop of my followers that are going to come up. And what are my followers to look like? Well, we see that throughout Scripture a lot. We are to be servants of Jesus Christ. We are to serve him, and we are to serve him by serving others. I said I wasn't going to preach through John 12, but I guess I am. So here we go. All right. Uh, John 12, 27 says, Now my soul is troubled. What should I say, Father, save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, here we see a little bit of the struggle. We, we, we often refer to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he is uh, as he's getting ready for that death and he's, he's crying out to the Lord, if there's any other way, God, let this cup pass from me. And here we see a, a similar language as Jesus, it says here that uh, my soul is troubled. But what should I say, Father? For, for, for this is what you sent me to do. I came for what is before me. Even though it's, it's heavy upon Jesus, the burden of, of what's going to take place with his death on the cross, he said, look, Father, this is what I came to do, and so let me glorify your name in all that I do. That is, Father, the, the job ahead of me is hard. The mission you have called me to is hard. But God, let me glorify you in doing it. Now, that's, that's something that, that we, need to, we need to pay attention to because if Jesus acknowledged that his mission was hard, then it's not... It's not a, a weak thing for us to acknowledge that sometimes our mission is hard, things that God may call us to. We may say a similar prayer. All right, Father, this is a hard mission that you have called me to, but God, I'm going to do it because you call me to it, and that's what you call me to, Father, is to serve, and so let me serve you, God, and let me do it, and in everything I do, let me glorify you through what I do. Continuing on in verse 28, then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. 
So this is probably a pretty amazing event. Uh, there is a, a thunderous roar that people hear, and, and, and Jesus knows what this thunders, thunderous roar is, is saying. It's the Lord, but the people around, they're not really sure what exactly is going on here. And in verse 30, it says, Jesus responded, This voice came not for me, but for you. Now this is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now let's stop there for a second. Here is what Jesus in his mission was coming to do. As, as the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus' kingship was not going to be over, a, over an earthly ministry, or excuse me, over an earthly enemy. His, his kingship and his victory, his conquering, was going to come over the ruler of this world. Now, when he says the ruler of this world, he's not talking about a worldly king. He's referring to Satan. Jesus came to fulfill his mission and to carry out what the Father called him to do, and it was much bigger than a worldly mission. He was not just going to dominate worldly kings, but instead he was going to dominate the ruler of this world, Satan himself. Now, is the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, I am lifted up from the earth. I will draw all people to myself. He said this to signify what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the scripture that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Now, in this past verse we just read, it appears as though we see that that might be the mindset of the people. Jesus is talking about being lifted up. He's going to go into the grave, but he is going to be resurrected. And the people don't really understand what he's talking about because they say, we have heard from the scripture that the Messiah will remain forever. Now, again, they were probably thinking when Jesus, King Jesus came, the Messiah came, that he would remain in his kingship forever in this world. But Jesus is not talking about this world. Jesus is not worried about this world. He's worried about the people in this world, but he's not worried about this world. One day he's going to do away with this world and he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus was trying to prepare the people not for this heavens and earth, but for the one that was to come. And so the people said, look, the, the Messiah is supposed to come forever. And you're talking about you're going to be lifted up. You're going to be going. How, how can you be the Messiah if you're going to be lifted up? They did not understand. And it's possible that even Jesus' disciples may not have understood because we see in the, in the event of the triumphal entry that it says that they didn't realize and understand the things that were going on until after Jesus' resurrection. And there were several things that the disciples didn't quite understand, and Jesus was good to explain it to them. And so when we see that people didn't understand what Jesus was saying, uh, we, 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 maybe we shouldn't be too hard on them because they were only comprehending as good as they could. But Jesus was trying to help them understand, and some of them still did not understand or refused to accept the teaching that Jesus was giving them. Jesus answered in verse 35, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. 
while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. Now, Jesus says a key thing there that the people needed to recognize and understand. The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so the darkness does not overtake you. What darkness was he talking about? He's talking about the darkness of sin. He's talking about the darkness of the devil, the ruler of this world. Jesus says, I am the light. Jesus is, is trying to tell them here, look, the light is with you. Make this connection. I'm, I'm the light. Jesus is the light. I am with you right now. And while the light is here, you need to walk in the light. And if you walk in the light, you will overcome darkness. You will overcome the ruler of this world, the one that I have come to conquer. And you will be part of my kingdom, a bigger kingdom, a better kingdom than anything that you see here. And so Jesus is trying to make the connection for those who are listening to him toward the end of his life of what kind of king he is going to be. He is a king that has come to conquer a, a spiritual enemy, to give us a spiritual victory. He is a king that has, that has not come by force, but he is a king that has come by service. And so these are the examples that Jesus wants us to go by. This is how Jesus wants us to live in our life. And what Jesus wants is for people to have a change of heart. See, they were looking for Jesus to, to bring a change to the structure, to bring a change to what they saw. But what Jesus wanted was for people's hearts to change. Now, no doubt, some people's heart was in the right place. And they, they heard what Jesus said, and they did follow the light. And their heart was changed. They were not hard-hearted. They, they understood God's word when Jesus spoke, when he preached to them. They understood what he was saying, and they believed what he was saying. And there were many who believed. But there were, there were plenty whose hearts had not changed. And that is evident by the fact that just a few days from, from the time that Jesus is saying these things, the crowds are going to be before him saying, crucify him, crucify him, because their hearts had not been changed. Now, we, we see this idea of hearts being changed in, in Ezekiel, even in the Old Testament. God says, I'm going to replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. I'm going to take your old nasty heart out, and I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a better heart. I'm going to give you a changed heart. Now, back to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 39. After Jesus made this entry into Jerusalem, after the crowds began to, to worship and praise him as he came in, then in verse 39, some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Now the Pharisees were not happy about this whatsoever. They, they despised Jesus and they had for years and Jesus was a troublemaker for them because they wanted the people to follow them. They wanted the people to listen to them. And Jesus comes onto the scene, and it says that the people came to him because he preached like one who had authority. His preaching was different. It was a preaching that when they heard it, they said, we've never heard this before. We, whatever the Pharisees were teaching, it was not, 
it was not impacting the lives of the people. And when Jesus came and he began to preach and he began to teach God's word and begin to teach the Old Testament and begin to reveal to them what, what, what it really said and what it really meant. Boy, the people, they flocked to Jesus because he was giving them something that the Pharisees weren't. He was actually giving them the word of God. And the Pharisees did not like this about Jesus whatsoever. And they wanted to get rid of him. They were, they were, they were, they were just, they were angry as they could be that Jesus had all these followers. They were angry that these people were calling out to Jesus as though he was the Messiah that was to come. And the Pharisees said, you got to make your followers stop saying this. You can't let them say all these things, that they can call you the king, that they can call you the Messiah. you got to shut them up. But Jesus didn't shut them up because they were right in their praise because they understood at least in that moment, they understood who Jesus was. Now, the Pharisees either did not understand or they just did not care. And they say, Jesus, you got to make your disciples. You can't let them keep saying this. And Jesus says to them, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Now, I don't know if we should take this passage literally or not. I, I kind of tend to lean toward the fact that I kind of read it more literally. Some, is, uh, some say it, it may be symbolic language, but, but he says here, even the stones would cry out. Now, uh, maybe he's speaking of, of stones and, and that uh, the earth rumbles in an earthquake and maybe you hear rocks or see rocks. Uh, the Bible uses language where it talks about, for instance, the trees clap their hands. Uh, maybe when we hear a breeze blow through the trees and you hear the leaves ruffle and you hear them go together, perhaps it sounds like hand clapping. And maybe that's a, a reference to a, a natural event, but, but, but something that we can relate to in, in clapping hands is applied to something in nature. And maybe that's what Jesus was saying here. Maybe he was simply saying, yeah, even, even nature is going to praise me. If the people won't praise me, I will be praised through all of creation even. And we see that, that, that idea uh, throughout the scriptures. And Jesus uh, makes his way into Jerusalem. And Luke's account, uh, at least as far as the triumphal entry goes, uh, kind of stops right here. But I would encourage you to read those other accounts in Matthew 21 and Mark chapter 11 and in John chapter 12, along with Luke 19, and you can get a picture of that. And maybe that's a good thing for you to read this week, uh, kind of study it over with it being Easter week. But there's good stuff there. But there's one passage here right after this that Luke covers that I think is important for us to look at this morning. And Luke 19, verse 41. As he approached and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in you, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Now, here Jesus has come into Jerusalem, and he is aware that there are many, there are many that have failed to realize that he is the Messiah. They have failed to realize that he is the one who was to come. And indeed, 
the Messiah has come. And he says in this, in this passage, as he looks over Jerusalem, speaking of Jerusalem, he says, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? If you only knew this day that I was the Messiah, if you only knew the peace that I would give you, if you only knew what kind of king I would be, if you only knew that I was going to conquer all of, of, of the sin and the death that, that, that overtake you, if you only knew I could give you eternal life, if you only knew I could help you overcome your enemy, the devil, if you only knew that I've got something so much better for you than this world, but I've got my kingdom that I want you to be of for all of eternity, if you only knew this day, if you only knew, if you only realized that I was the Messiah, that I was the Son of God, that I was the King of kings and Lord of lords, if you only knew this day, this would bring you peace, Jerusalem. My people, if you only knew who I was and you trusted me, if you only knew what I was doing for you, what I wanted to do for you, what I wanted to give to you, the freedom I wanted to give, if you only knew this today, it would bring you peace. But they didn't know. A lot of them didn't know. And Jesus says, but now it is hidden from you. And Jesus goes on to speak of what's going to happen to Jerusalem. And indeed it did in 70 AD as they were overtaken, just as Jesus said they would be. The enemies would surround Jerusalem and they would overtake Jerusalem and they would destroy Jerusalem. And oh, how God wanted to bless his people from the Old Testament to the time of Jesus, God wanted to bless his people and God made every effort to bless and provide for his people, even giving them a promised land and driving out their enemies before them and providing everything that they needed. God desired to take care of his people and for, for, for his love to be poured out on them and for their love to be, to be poured out on him. This is what God desired was for his people to be his people. But from the time the Old Testament started till the time Jesus arrived, it was not going to happen, at least not in this world. Oh, if the people would have only recognized. Oh, if God's people would have only, would have only begun to seek the Lord, would have only recognized Jesus, if they would have followed Jesus and listened to Jesus and trusted in Jesus. Oh, what a glorious day that would have been. What peace there would have been. But now it is hidden from you, Jesus said. The very Son of God is before you, and you don't even recognize it. The Messiah that was prophesied has come, and you don't even realize it. And at the end of the passage, he says, Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Here was Jesus coming to Jerusalem for this final time, this visitation that he was making. And his heart was broken for, for so many who had rejected him, who had, who had heard him teach for three years. And here following the Pharisees, telling him, look, you gotta, you gotta make your disciples shut up. This is ridiculous. You can't allow them to keep praising you like this. And Jesus knew. He knew that the heart of many were hearts of stone. He knew that the hearts of many had rejected his teaching and rejected the word of God. And Jesus was saddened by that. We see a similar similar language 
uh, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39. Matthew 23, 37 through 39 says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, she who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Yet you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, He who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. That's a similar language to what we just looked at in Luke 19. Jesus says, I come to you and I wanted to gather you up like a hen gathers her chicks, but you are unwilling. Jesus says, I've done everything I could possibly do for you, but you have still failed to see who I am. And Jesus said, you'll never see me again. You'll never see who I am. You'll never be with me again. Unless, he says, unless, you say, he who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Unless, Jesus said, you acknowledge, you recognize who I am. You recognize that God sent me. You recognize that I am the king. You recognize that I am the savior. Jesus says, you have missed this to this point, And you need to get this. This is true for you and I. We, we, we read God's Word, and we see what it says, and we may not always understand it, but hopefully we see that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and, and when we read God's Word, Jesus begins to make His way into our life. Now, whether it's here at church or whether it's at home or whatever it may be, when God's Word is presented to us or when we read it ourselves, Jesus is, he, he, he makes this journey into our lives. Now, we have to decide whether we are going to welcome him or not. Now, the people of Jerusalem, they, they saw Jesus coming. They were exposed to Jesus. They knew about Jesus. And when he came, they welcomed him. Praise the Lord. They laid the palm branches down. They, they, they laid the robes down. They, they worshiped him with all of their heart. They believed that he was the Messiah. But then something changed. Within just a few days' time, something changed. And the Messiah that they were first welcoming, it wasn't long until they were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And he was nailed to a cross. Now, when we, when we hear the gospel, when we hear the Bible, Jesus is introduced into our life. And I hope then we welcome him and say, all right, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. But then what do, we, what do we say when Jesus says, all right, I want you to follow me. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to forgive those who have wronged you. I want you to serve other people. It's not about being one who is in control at the highest positions of power, but about being one who submits themselves in the service of others. And then we begin to read God's Word and we begin to read Jesus' teachings and we begin to say, boy, these things are hard to live by sometimes. And they are. And I think for, for many of the people of Jesus' day, they were probably drawn to Jesus in some way, 
But his teachings were hard, and they went against the things that they wanted to do, that they wanted to believe, the things that they had been taught that were not godly at all. And, and Jesus pressed against those things. And while they may have been willing to acknowledge Jesus to some extent, they were not willing to follow him as their Lord and Savior. And so even though he was welcomed in, there were many who did not follow him. Now, when we hear God's word, we are exposed to Jesus. We know about Jesus. The question is, are we going to accept him and are we going to follow him and say, Lord Jesus, I am yours. Lord Jesus, I know that you've got something bigger for me, that you're not worried about this world, but you are more worried about our souls for all of eternity. And sometimes people reject Jesus because they are so focused on this world, they can't see that there is something better that is to come. And that was the case for many of the people of Jesus' day, I believe. But I hope that that is not the case for you and I. I hope that we realize, look, we are in this world, and while we are in this world, we, we have to put up with the things in this world. We have good days, we have bad days. Things are, things are easy sometimes, things are hard sometimes. But this is just a small blip in the, in the, in the, in the, in the whole view of eternity. The, the 60, 70, 80 years, 90 years, maybe if we're lucky, 100, that we spend here are just a small blip in eternity. And Jesus wants us to know the same thing he wanted the people of his day to know. I've got something bigger for you. I've got something better for you. And Jesus is the very king that we needed. He was not the king that some wanted, but he was the king that we all needed. He was a king that was a conqueror. Not of worldly empires, but of our, the ruler of this world that is the devil. He was a king that did not come with a show of force, with a big military, but he was a king who came with a show of humility and, 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 and how to be a servant. This is who Jesus is. Jesus didn't come to establish a kingdom in this life, in this world, but he came to establish a kingdom that would be for all of eternity in the world to come. And of all the things in all the world for Jesus to ride into town on, he rode into town on a donkey, the most humblest of animals. And that was the first time that he rode into town. That was the first time that he came into Jerusalem. He rode into town on that donkey, and many probably looked at him and said, what, what is this guy? He's the Messiah. He's riding on a donkey. Because what do kings ride? Kings don't ride donkeys. They ride big old huge stallions, right? They ride these big old huge horses. That's what the victorious king rides. Well, I got news for you. Our victorious king, Jesus, he's going to be riding one of those horses one day. Because in Revelation it says, when he returns, he'll be riding that horse. And there will be the king of kings and the lord of lords. And all the people that said of Jesus, so he doesn't look like a king. The day might come when they see the king and they say, whoa, he, he is the king. But it'll be too late. Jesus said, oh, how I wish to gather you now while you can come to me, while you have the opportunity. Oh, how I wish you would come to me. I wish you would listen to me. I wish you would see that I'm the light. 
But there are so many people that while they have the opportunity, they miss the opportunity. And when they realize that Jesus is king, it may be too late. I hope you and I are not in that crowd. I hope we are not in the crowd that hears about Jesus but rejects him. But we are in the crowd that hears about Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I am going to be your servant. Lord Jesus, I know you are the king and I trust you are the king and I trust the victory that you give. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus today, then you need to do it. You need to say, Lord Jesus, I don't want to be like these people we just read about. I don't want to be like the Pharisees. I don't want to be those who miss you, but I want to be the one that, that, that knows you, Lord Jesus, that finds you, that puts my faith in you. And it's just that simple. We say, Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I put my faith in you. I trust you. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. And that's it. When we have that change in our heart, not just saying those words. You can say them words from now to the day you die. But if your heart doesn't change, it's not going to do you any good. But when we trust in Jesus, he changes our heart from a heart of stone to a new heart, a new creation. And if your heart hasn't been changed today, I hope that you'd put your faith in him and that you'd let him change your heart and change your life. Let's pray. God, we come to you now, and I thank you for these words, and I pray that you would help us to learn them and to live by them and to grow in them, God. I pray that you would help us to recognize the great sacrifice that was made on our behalf when Jesus made this journey into Jerusalem for the final week of his life. God, I pray that when we look to Jesus, we recognize that he is a victorious king, that he has been a king over everything that we could not overcome, dear Lord, all of our sin and, and all of the the things, dear Lord, that were too heavy for us. God, Jesus paid the price by giving his life, and we thank you for that. So God, I pray that we, we live for you in this world, but that we realize that this world is not much, but that we keep our eyes in the world to come, that we keep our eyes on the kingdom to come, dear Lord. And God, we must not forget that you are at work. Help us to remember that, to see that, to, to see that in our life, dear Lord. Give us opportunities. God, that we would, we would say, Lord, I want to serve you. So help us to see how we can serve you, dear Lord. No matter how big or how small, let us serve you with all of our heart because that's what you call us to. And no matter how hard things may get in this world, dear Lord, we still must go about our mission. We still must say, all right, God, you, you've put me on this mission. You've called me to this. So give me the strength to do it so that I'll do it for your glory. And God, I pray that if there's one in here that have, has never followed Jesus today, maybe they know all about him. Maybe they've heard your word a thousand times over. Maybe they've heard these scriptures we looked at today a thousand times, but God, maybe they do not know Jesus. I pray that they would know him. I pray, God, that while the light is here, while the light is near us today, while the kingdom of, uh, of God has come near, dear Lord, that, that they would enter that kingdom, that they would put their faith in Jesus, that they would repent, that they would ask for your forgiveness, that they would trust the sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross, that they would be your children, dear Lord, so that they would receive victory over everything that, 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 that gets us down, and we will have that victory for all of eternity with you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.